Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg. I'm Luke Hector, and you're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. On today's episode, the latest news, my first impressions of Cult Express, a lengthy discussion about the recent Dice Tower Awards, and then my top 10 disappointing games of all time. Yes, it's probably going to be another ranty episode. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of The Broken Meeple. It's been a mixed month, I have to say. Uh, First of all, let's start on the good front. PopCon was on at the end of June, Saturday the 27th, and yet again it was another blast to go to. It's a small convention by comparison to all the others, it's just one day of solid gaming, and that's about it really. But we get a lot of people down there, we run a few little mini tournaments for a bit of fun, we had a Star Realms one and uh, Tumbling Dice, and everyone just gets there and plays games, so everybody just goes there and has a good time. It's one of those nice little days where you don't have to worry about shopping loads, you don't have to worry about getting into exhibitions and into stalls, that kind of thing. But you just go there and play games. New and old, whatever you like. It's always a good laugh. And the, you know, our Portsmouth on board group, you know, Hannah does a very good job running it. It's always worth doing. Unfortunately, it is only once a year, so you're going to have to wait till next June, I'm afraid, if you want to come to the next one. But failing that, check out our Portsmouth on board group on meetup.com and just come to one of our fortnightly sessions. It's still just as good. Going to a bit more of a solemn note, it's been a bit emotional for me this past couple of weeks. You see, you would have heard in my podcast now and again that I do mention good times with my long-distance girlfriend. Um, Unfortunately, the long-distance thing has kind of got to the better of us. And as of last weekend, this has been recorded on 6th of July... As of last weekend, I brought up the conversation and we mutually agreed to separate. So eh, that was a bit of a difficult time for me and I must admit I'm still sort of getting over the emotional blow of it now. But we are still best friends for life, we will still see each other, we still chat online and it certainly is not goodbye, it's more like see you later. You know, but we just could not survive. She was all the way up in Glasgow, all the way down in Portsmouth. It was just getting too difficult to see each other because we lead such busy lifestyles. I've got the blog and my job and my social life. She has all sorts of different activities up there like her work, her horses, her friends, everything. So it just got a bit too much for us and we mutually agreed to call it a day and just not damage the friendship. So, you know, she's still in my life and that's the main thing. But certainly was a bit of an emotional, you know, roller coaster for me in terms of leading up to that point ever since I got back from my holiday in Greece recently with her 
and actually trying to pluck up the courage to actually bring the conversation up because I mean how do you start something like that it's such a uh, I don't wish it on anybody you know if you're in a long distance relationship and it's going well for you then good on you I give you a thumbs up because it is one of the hardest most painful things to go through trying to keep long distance relationships working and then it's even worse when you finally give in and say nah we can't do it if you manage to make your long distance relationship work perfectly then brilliant i wish you the very best anyway i'm depressing you too much with my whole life story here let's actually get on with this episode there's quite a lot of content to fit in and we'll start off with some light news First up, the Spiel de Jahres winners have just literally been announced today, if not yesterday, I believe. And the Spiel de Jahres winner is Colt Express, which is very convenient because that's going to be my first impression later in the episode. Colt Express, I'm kind of glad that won, actually. Um, I don't think it's the best thing ever, but I certainly think it's a good family game and it definitely beats the pants of Maichi Koro for me. So, you know, you remember I put that at number 10 in my most hated list, and it's probably about 11 now. There is something I probably hate a little bit worse than that. But still, yeah, I did not like Mighty Koro at all, and I'm glad to see that it got knocked off by Cult Express. So that's a good one there. The Kennerspiel was a bit of an unexpected one, though. A game called Broom Service won. And to be fair, I actually know nothing about this game. This is not something that's appeared in the UK, and it certainly hasn't appeared in the US to my knowledge. So I'd be interested to try out on the basis that it actually won the Kenner Spiel. Because Kenner Spiel is all about the slightly more heavier games, the ones that are a bit more finky. And a game called Broom Service that has a slightly wacky front cover on it by Ravensburger, of all people, is kind of an unexpected win, to be honest. I was rooting for Elysium, personally. And I know a lot of people in the US were probably rooting for Orleans, which I've yet to try, but that looks pretty cool as well. So, yeah, this was a surprising one for me, actually, but if somebody ever shows me a copy, I'll be keen to give it a try to see what all the fuss was about. And the Children's Award went to Spinderella. Again, I don't deal with children's games, really, so I don't know anything about this one either. But just to let you know, Colt Express, Broom Service, and Spinderella. They were the winners of the Spiel de Aris, Kennerspiel, and Kinderspiel 2015. Okay, fairly light on news, so let's get on with the first impressions, and that's Colt Express, funny enough, that I mentioned just won the Spiel de Aris. Now, Mighty Koro had obviously been a frontrunner for it, and I hated that game, so what did I think of the one who actually won it? Well, actually, I don't mind this one. Cult Express is this, I would say it's more for kids than it is for adults, but I think adults can enjoy it as well if they just get into the theme. And it's basically, you're a bunch of robbers trying to perform a heist on a moving train and what is cool about this one is that the train is 3d it is this hollowed out train with several carriages on it depending on the number of players and you have your meeple robbers and various little like money bag tokens and a marshal that runs around the place and stuff like that and you can move around this 3d train with your meeple and like get on top of the train and run across that or shoot people within the train or on top you know punch people 
and it's just really cool. It, it goes so far into making it look cool that you get these little cardboard stand-up like cactuses and little trees and fences or whatever, like rock falls and that, that you just literally put on the table around this train and they do nothing apart from just look decorative. That's it. They are completely superfluous to how the game plays. They just look cool. You know, a lot of games should really do this. You know, pointless little things just to make it more decorative. Because in the end, it appeals to people. I can see why it appeals to kids anyway. Now, the way you move around this train is it's a programming mechanic. So think Robo Rally, that kind of thing. And you have these various cards that tell you whether you're going to shoot someone, punch someone, pick up items, climb on top of the train, move along the train, etc. And you will take it in turns to put a card either face up or face down, depending on the round. The round has essentially cards that come out saying uh, certain cards will be played face up or face down and a little event that happens at the end of the round. But you will play your cards in turn and then the deck will flip over and you will reveal them each one by one and perform the actions. So you're programming your actions in advance. Now this can either go well for you or more commonly in programming games it goes completely wrong for you because you essentially just you know get you you try to think oh I'm going to go over there pick up this money bag and get out of there. Yeah, unfortunately someone else has either beaten you to it or they've sent the marshal your way and he shot you or they've punched you and stolen the bag that you just picked up. It can be very chaotic. There is a lot of luck in this game. There is a lot of chaos in this game. So do not play this thinking that you can control everything that happens, because if you do, it will just be frustrating. And I must admit, it was for me at times, until it's like, come on, lighten up. This is meant to be a little kid's game, effectively. And that's essentially it. You just play through several rounds and whoever has the most money at the end wins. There is a advanced version that we weren't playing. We were playing the base version and I think I would prefer the advanced version because it gives you a little bit more control over the cards you get in your hand because you draw out of a deck and you can only draw so many and if you get shot you end up putting these wound cards on your deck and a bit like how it works in Marvel Legendary if you draw the wounds in your hand it's basically a dead draw. So it can get a little bit frustrating with the chaos factor in the base game, but the advanced version mentions about being able to control it more. And I think adults, and certainly me, would prefer to play that version. But certainly with the kids, go with the base version, because they'll just love the fact that they're running around a train and shooting people. I can see why this one, actually. I don't think it's the b best game ever, and it's probably not my kind of thing. But when you've had a drink or two and you just feel like a bit of harmless fun and you want to look at a cool 3D train, then this one's a good one to do. And it's certainly miles better than Mighty Coral. Anyway, that's certainly, I mean, <laughs> that's setting the bar pretty low. But yeah, I, I'm glad this one won the Spiel de Yaris because I think it was a good contender out of the games that were listed. But it's not without its flaws. Like I said, it can get frustrating if you think that you want to have more control over the programming mechanic and you hate getting just messed over because it happens. The other thing that is a little irritating, although not really a killer, is that if you've got big fingers, you're going to struggle to move everything. You know, you've got to reach your fingers inside this train and like fiddle around with tokens and pop them on there, set them up, and move meeples from carriage to carriage. And if you've got fat fingers like me, then it's going to cause you a little bit of hassle. You know, you almost think you need to do it with chopsticks or something or a pair of tweezers. Uh, but if you've got small fingers, it's not so bad. And obviously kids aren't going to have a problem with it, you know, with their titular fingers. So that's just a mild irritation. Not, nothing really that 
hampers the game too much. But nah, I thought it was fine. I'm glad it won the Spill the Yaris. I think it was probably the best out of those three that were in there. Certainly better than Mighty Koro, and I don't think the game looked like much either. I mean, seriously, why do you call your game the game? That just sounds really stupid. But I'm glad the Colt Express won it. I think it's fine. If you've got young children and you want a fun Wild West style game for them to teach them how programming works, because it's a useful mechanic to get into a non-gamer's head before they start tackling any of the more heavier stuff that involves programming, then I think Colt Express is solid. Check it out. Now on to the discussion topic for this week, and this is going to be a bit more lengthy than previous ones in the past, which is why I kind of rushed through the news and the first impressions. This is all about the Dice Tower Awards 2014 that I was actually a panellist for. There was about 100 of us in this private Facebook group with very differing and very passionate abilities. So it was one of those cases where, you know, there was a lot of opinions going around and a lot of you know, back and forth across everyone, particularly about certain games. So it, it was a good fun group and it was certainly quite heated, but not in a jerky way. And obviously we voted on the various categories. And then recently at Dice Tower Con, Tom Vassell and the crew announced all of the winners. And well, let's just say I was a little bit disappointed. Not because I didn't think some good games won it. It was more that I I mean, there were some that I thought, yeah, these are going to win. These are surefire wins. But they weren't necessarily the ones that I picked myself, the ones I voted for. So I'm just going to go through each category, mention a little bit about what games were in the category, who won it, and give my opinion as to which one I thought should have won or whether I agree with the winner. So let's kick it off with the obvious one, best game of the year. And for best game of the year, the winner was Dead of Winter. Oh dear. Well, I can see that Dead of Winter is obviously very popular with a lot of people. If you've read my review on BoardGameGeek and on my blog, you'll know that I gave this a kind of meh review. I don't hate the game, but I certainly don't love it. I think it's overrated in general, and there are some flaws with the game that do irk me when I'm playing it. But if all comes to shove, I will play it and I will try to enjoy it. But I had a feeling this was going to win Best Game of the Year just because of the amount of hype it gets. But it's a shame because there were some good games in the category. We also had Alchemist, Five Tribes, Star Wars Imperial Assault, Imperial Settlers, Star Realms, Splendor, Kanban Automotive Revolution, Dice Masters. You know, there were some good contenders there. But I was a bit annoyed that Alien Legendary Encounters didn't appear in there. Seriously? There was more chance for... Well, Kanban in Automotive Revolution and Zyre Legends of a Drift System to win than Alien Legendary? Um, that was probably my game of the year, or certainly one that I would have voted for had it appeared in the category. Instead, I think I went for Five Tribes. I think Five Tribes was a very good game last year for certainly the Finky lot. Uh, but, as expected, Dead of Winter won it, but it certainly wasn't the one that I would have pegged for it. Then it gets worse for me, unfortunately, because now we have Best Co-op Game. And of course, co-op is my favourite genre. And the contenders were Dead of Winter, Alien Legendary Encounters, Hooray, Pandemic the Cure, Shadows of Brimstone, and Witness. 
I've not played Shadows of Brimstone or Witness, so that was a little bit difficult for me to give those a fair chance, so I only voted on the top three. But there was Pandemic the Cure, which is okay, it's not bad, but it's certainly quite a cool version of Pandemic. And Dead of Winter, well, not going to beat the dead horse too many times, but obviously I voted for Alien Legendary Encounters. Annoyingly, Dead of Winter won. And uh, I, I know people like to put it as a co-op game, but seriously, I do not think Dead of Winter is a co-op game. And listen to my reasoning on this. In Dead of Winter, there is only one winner. Occasionally, you may share your victory with someone else, but I find that to be extremely rare. You know, Dead, Cosmic Encounter has shared victories often. Dead of Winter doesn't. And if you're the betrayer, then you're not sharing a victory with anyone. You're trying to get your own. But chances are you are going for your own victory because you all have those secret agendas. And the secret agendas, besides being a bit unbalanced in general, mean that you are only cooperating to the extent that you just don't want the game to tank. Now, there are other games that do this. Cutthroat Caverns, technically you work together in order to get to the end of the cavern before you stab everyone in the back and then win by yourself. That's... I wouldn't even call that a co-op game. You know, that is still a one-victor issue. And well, was another good example. Uh, well, well, I mean, Shadows of a Camelot and Battlestar Galactica, you are working together. In Shadows of a Camelot, the good guys win as a team. There's no like, oh, I was the only uh, knight to do well out of the good guys, therefore I win. No, it doesn't work like that. There's a reason why people play Legendary Marvel and don't use the rule where you get the victory points for whatever you kill. You know, most people will just play Alien, uh, sorry, Marvel Legendary as a pure co-op, and that's the way I think you should play it. Unless you play Legendary Villains, then maybe you might want to tweak it then, because it's a bit more thematic. But, again, it's the same thing about having one victor in a co-op game that, for me, just basically doesn't make it a co-op. And so I wouldn't even put Dead of Winter in the category, let alone vote it for best co-op game. Obviously, I thought the best one was Legendary Encounter Alien. That one is my one of my favorite co-op games at the moment. It's not enough to beat things like Sentinels in the Multiverse, but it certainly is a high favorite for me, and I think it probably was my best game for the year as well that I would have voted for. But, oh well, the masses have spoken. So next up on the list, we have the best board game components. Now, the winner for this was Star Wars Imperial Assault, which is a fair assumption, really. I actually personally voted for Arcadia Quest, but it was a toss-up between the two. Both of them have got fantastic miniatures. I just thought Arcadia Quest kind of had the upper hand with everything else that was in the box. But Colt Express was in there, Splendor was in there, I'm not quite sure why, and Zaya Legends of a Drift System, which I've not played Zaya, so I can't really comment on that one, but a lot of the things about it, like the downtime and the randomness, probably would irk me too much. Cold Express, as I mentioned before, has got that really cool train, but I wouldn't say that goes for like best board game components against everything else that's there. And Splendor, the only thing that's good component-wise in that is the big poker chip, so apart from that, the cards are pretty generic. So I'm not sure why that was in there either. So it was Arcadia Quest or Imperial Assault. I wanted Arcadia Quest. Imperial Assault won it. Fair play. I'm happy with that. I own. I don't own Arcadia Quest, actually. Funny enough, my mate does. But I do have Imperial Assault, and I'm happy to see it win. Moving on, the best family game. Now, this one is a category that, you know, I don't... Obviously, I don't play as part of a family very often, and certainly I don't have my own kids. 
and as I mentioned, I don't even have a girlfriend anymore, so yeah, family doesn't tend to get played as much in as a setting for me. But there are still some games that I can see make really good family games, and here we had Camel Up, Diamonds, King of New York, Splendor, and Spyfall. I'm not sure I would call Spyfall or Diamonds a family game. It's not something I would see the kids getting into as much. Maybe Spyfall to an extent, but certainly not Diamonds. I don't see why that was put in the category. Camel Up, yeah, self-explanatory. It's a ra- it's a completely random racing game with camels. Of course, that's going to be good for families. King of New York, well, if you know what King of Tokyo is, then of course King of New York was a good contender. And Splendor has been doing pretty well amongst families. Splendor took the victory in the end for best family game, and, well, I don't mind Splendor, but I found that after two or three games of it, it just basically had worn out its welcome. There's only two paths to victory in the game. You know, you go for the cheaper stuff or you go for the more expensive stuff. Once you've exhausted those two options, the game is pretty generic from that point forward. But it's cheap, the components are alright, and it's easy to pick up, so I can see why it took the top of the list. Personally, I voted for King of New York because I think it's King of Tokyo improved, so that was my thought on the matter. But Spender won it, and to be fair, I suppose it actually does fit more the context of a family game than certainly half of the others in that category. One here now for pretty much the... well the one where it was no surprise who was going to win this, the best game, Artwork. For Artwork, we had Abyss, Alchemist, Battle of Five Armies, Imperial Assault, and Imperial Settlers. Well, I knew what one I voted for, and I knew which one was going to win from the word go, and that was Abyss. I now own Abyss, and you only have to look at the cover of the box to know that the artwork is solid in this, with that big brooding face from one of the Sea Lords on there, and nothing else, no other title or uh, writing garbage, just that picture of the face. But when you get into the box, you've got the some of the most gorgeous artwork I have seen in a sort of coral reef style uh, setting of you know sea creatures and squids and oct- and octopi and stuff like that. It's so gorgeous to look at this game. You cannot help but take a second glance when you see it on the table. So this was a sheer fire hit. Abyss for the best game artwork. And now best expansion. And this was a topic where I was quite involved in because I like expansions to games when they certainly work. And I had my personal choice as. Seven Wonders Babble, but alongside that was Cyclades Titans, Mice and Mystics Down with Tails, the Terra Mystica Fire and Ice expansion, and the Tuscany Viticulture expansion. Now, I've not tried Mice and Mystics, so I couldn't really comment on that, but I know that the other expansions in there are most, for, for the most part, very solid. I wouldn't have voted on Terra Mystica because I do have the expansion, but there are a couple of issues with it. There is an auction rule for getting your starting race, which is completely pointless, and the new races are definitely more powerful than the old races, so it does have its issues, but it's still quite a cool expansion for veterans of Terra Mystica. Cyclades Titans really does up the war value of the game itself, so it certainly was a solid contender. But in the end, Tuscany took the top spot, and... I don't, I'm happy that it did, because Tuscany is a good expansion, but my problem with Tuscany is that it costs more than the base game itself. In fact, I think it costs like nearly twice as much as the best base game at times, and for me, that price point is ridiculous for an expansion. Okay, you get about 15-odd modules in it, but most of those modules you may never use. So um, you probably use half, if not just over half of the modules, like all the time. 
you might use one or two others occasionally, but a few of them you are never going to use whatsoever. And so for the price point, it just seems that the, it, that wouldn't take the top spot for me. Certainly I'd put it at second place, but certainly not the top. Babel, on the other hand, is a brilliant expansion for Seven Wonders. Two modules, both that I love to use, and if I'm playing with veterans, I want both of them in the game because they bring up the interactivity among the players to a whole new level. So certainly I would have picked Babel, but oh well, Tuscany, it's a good choice, so go with it. After that, we got the best game reprint. Now, I thought this was a little bit of a cop-out for the winner, which was Ticket to Ride 10th Anniversary. I own the Ticket to Ride at 10th Anniversary. It has stellar components. It has really nice, you know, production quality in it. But I'm not going to call this a reprint. This is just a, you know, an anniversary of a game. None of the rules changed. It was basically the same USA game, but just with 1910 added and some better looking artwork. Now, that's not to say the game isn't worth getting if you can get it cheap enough, but for me... I want to reprint to improve on the original. And so the other contenders we had, Cash and Guns, 2nd Edition, Doomtown Reloaded, Medina, San Juan, and Ticket to Ride 10th Anniversary. Now, San Juan is a game I own, and it is improved by the fact that it includes an expansion in the box already. But that, to me, isn't enough to simply, you know, gay yeah this is the best reprint just because you included the expansion that already existed in the base game now i don't know about doomtown reloaded so i can't really comment on that one but i personally i think voted for cash and gun second edition because that whereas i prefer san juan and ticket the riders games cash and gun second edition not only ups the sort of production quality and the artwork from the first edition, but also tweaks some of the rules. So it is a different game to the first Cash and Guns. And to me, that's a more solid idea of a reprint than just simply going, oh, here's the one game you had before, just with some glossier looks. So that was a little bit of a cop-out, I think, for Ticket to Ride to win that. But, oh well, it looks good. But I still think Cash and Guns probably should have taken that spot. And now, oh god, yes, best game theming. I love theme in games. Theme is one of the best things I like about certain board games. Not to say that I don't like some Euros, but theming is obviously a big part for me. So, what are the nominees we've got here? We have Alchemists, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Dead of Winter, Star Wars Imperial Assault, and Alien Encounters Legendary. Legendary Encounters Alien, basically it's Legendary Encounters Alien, but I'll probably end up saying it in God knows how many different versions because let's face it, it makes sense either way. Now here, there's some solid choices there. I'm not sure I would say Castles of Mad King Ludwig is that big on theme. It's a bit more Eurory than it, you know, compared to a lot of other games that could have fit here. Alchemist does pretty well. Imperial Assault, it's Star Wars in a box. What more do you want? Alien Encounters actually really does bring out the Alien franchise to a great level, and in a deck-building game, that is impressive. And Dead of Winter took this one as well. <sighs> I mean, obviously I voted for Alien, hands down. You, a deck-building game is usually pretty hard to get the theme out, but this one manages to get the theme out really strong, and it's Alien, which is just fantastic anyway. But Dead of Winter got it. Now... Dead of Winter theme. Okay, there is elements of theme there. You have got the banter between the other players. I don't class the zombies as particularly part of the theme because, let's face it, they just hang around in the background don't really do much, so they're almost pointless to the game. But there are parts of the theme which do not make sense in the mechanics. For example, items teleport all over the places. 
in terms of transferring them between people. There is a dog that can dual wield guns and operate heavy machinery. What? You know, if you're going to put silly things like that in a game, you are really detracting from theme there. You're just going completely wacky in a game that is about a post-winter apocalypse and zombies eating people. You can't put stupidly silly with something as serious as that. And on top of that, the main sort of, like, thematic side that they talk about is those crossroad cards. Yeah, the crossroad cards are cool, if they ever fire. The crossroad cards in Dead of Winter have got such a stupidly low percentage rate for firing on some of them that you may never read the card in any game of Dead of Winter that you play for the rest of your life. They are so specific to where characters should be in the game and where they should be that you might as well have not put the card in the game. And for me, various reasons like that just completely ruined Dead of Winter theme-wise for me and I would have happily put Alien deck building game on the top of this category. But... Oh well, masses and hype go hand in hand, so best game theming went to Dead of Winter. Fine, take it away. Next we have the best new designer, and this one was an easy choice for me. The the, categ- the nominees were interesting. Splendor, Heroes of Normandy, Paperback, Alchemist, and Zyre Legends of a Drift System. Now, Zyre has been getting quite a lot of buzz over in the States mainly, so I can see why that one would be in there. Splendor, it's a new designer and it has been taken off quite well. I didn't expect to see Heroes of Normandy in there, that was a little bit weird. And Alchemist, as much as I thought, yeah, okay, it's, it's a cool game if somewhat heavy and fiddly, I didn't think that was going to be a contender. But no, Alchemist won it in the end, which was a bit of a surprise, because I thought, if not my choice, which was Paperback, I thought Splendor might have taken it. But I personally thought Tim Fowers, who did Paperback, should have deserved this award because a deck builder that's kind of linked to Scrabble. You know, you are building, you are making up words, you know, long words, but you do it by buying letters, putting them in your deck, and then using those letters to spell out the word, but various letters have more points, some have special abilities that allow you to do other things with the cards, and it's just such a weird concept that really should not work. But it does, and I wish I could get a copy of this game, but at the moment I can't, and I'm just looking for when it comes back into stores and I can happily grab it. But seriously, try Paperback out if you haven't already, because this is a little unknown gem that isn't getting enough buzz for its own good. Next up we have Best Party Game. Party games. I do like a good party game, particularly large group party games. Although I was a little disappointed with the lineup we had here. We had Cash and Gun 2nd Edition, we had Spyfall, Good Cop, Bad Cop, Strike a Pose, and Cluster Fight. I've not even heard of Cluster Fight, and Strike a Pose is not one that I would see myself wanting to play, so that only left me with the other three. And Good Cop, Bad Cop is alright. I think Good Cop, Bad Cop's an okay style sort of negotiation slash bluffing game, but I think there are better ones out there. Cash and Guns, again, it's a. Uh, you know, fairly good party game, but I thought this was a bit of a cop-out, because even though the rules are slightly tweaked, it is just cash and guns at the end of the day, which was out in an earlier year. So I thought this one shouldn't really be in the category. So I decided to go for Spyfall, and Spyfall is a very entertaining party game, especially when you're with a group that isn't too introverted to answer and ask various obscure and devious questions. And thankfully, Spyfall took the best party game, so for once, my vote actually got to the top. And, like I say, I think Spyfall is a really cool game. You should check it out. It's not for everybody, 
I would recommend reading my blog review that I put out last week for it just to see whether it's your cup of tea or not. But yeah, this is a very group dependent game. If you're in the right group, you're going to have a blast. If not, then you might want to reconsider. And we're almost at the end. We now have Best Small Publisher. And this is similar to Small Designer, except now we're going on to Publishers. Zaya, Medieval Academy, which I don't think even existed in the UK, so that had to be scrapped out. Paperback, Run, Fight or Die, and Star Realms. Now, I was pretty certain which one was going to win this one, and it, lo and behold, Star Realms took it. And to be fair, it's not my favourite deck builder, but I can see for its very solid design, for the small price point, the fact that it caters for two players straight out of the box, so not everybody has to collect the cards. You know, this was a really solidly solidly designed game. So I'm glad it won. I think it deserved it. Paperback was in there, and I voted for that one, but I wasn't expecting it to really beat the likes of Star Realms. So that wasn't a massive surprise for me. So, yep. Well done to Star Realms for taking that one. Now, next up we have Best Strategy Game. Now, this had some really good titles in there. I mean, Zyre Legends of Adrift System was in there, which I think was probably the weak link of the five. I mean, it's very random and very sort of sandboxy space shoot up, you know, like in your take out other players type game. And I don't know why I would, I wouldn't necessarily put it as a strategy game, but. Oh well, maybe others would disagree on that. But you also had five tribes, Imperial Settlers, Kanban, and Panamax. I've not played Panamax, but it looks cool, and I hear a lot of good buzz about it. The other three are very solid games. And Kanban, if you can wrap your head around it, is a very solid game, but God, is it a nightmare to learn and play. And this one was another occasion where the one I voted for got the top spot, and that was Five Tribes. Five Tribes is very simple to learn, but has a lot of strategic depth to it. And for me, combined with the stellar components and you know the fact that the production quality is great and the fact that it's simple to learn but has so much depth, this was a surefire hit for me. And yep, it took the top spot for best strategy game and I think deservably so. And let's see, how many more have we got now? We've got one, two, two. We've got two more categories, so almost done, guys. First up, best two-player game was... Star Realms. And that's not a surprise one bit. The Battle of Five Armies, Warhammer 40,000 Conquest, Dice Masters, and Imperial Assault were the contenders. Now, Battle of Five Armies, I haven't heard getting a lot of buzz, so I wasn't expecting that to win. Warhammer Conquest was okay, but I got bored of it very quickly and decided to trade it off. Imperial Assault barely classes as a two-player game for the most part, because in the end I think of it more for the campaign mode rather than its head-to-head thing. So really it was down to Star Realms and Dice Masters. I personally went for Dice Masters because I enjoy that game a lot more with the cool dice, the fact that you can have your favourite superheroes in a team and then mix and match different universes, really cool stuff like that. But in the end, Star Realms took it, and to be fair, like I said, I think Star Realms, even though it's not my favourite game, it's a very solid design. So I would happily see that there, even though I prefer Dice Masters. I think you should get Dice Masters. And then finally, we have Most Innovative Game. Now, innovative, innovation, that is a hard word to define when you talk about this sort of thing with people. Everybody's got their own opinion about what innovative means, and, well, so do I. But for me, it's got to be it's got to be unique, obviously, and it's got to take either a completely new idea, or it's got to take old ideas 
put them together to create something really wacky and new. Now, this is why I thought paperback should have been in the contenders, but it wasn't. Because, okay, yeah, we've seen deck builders before, but deck builders to spell words? Deck building Scrabble? That's a pretty innovative idea for something that's been quite generic in the past. But it wasn't even on the list. This time we had Alchemist, Dead of Winter, Tragedy Looper, Golem Arcana, and Spyfall. I wouldn't really call Spyfall that innovative. I mean, it's a cool game, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was innovative. Alchemist and Golem Arcana are solid choices because they utilized apps in order to make the game run. And people will argue, well, just using technology is not an innovation. I think it is. XCOM's a really good cooperative game, and a lot of that is down to the fact that it uses an app to take care of all the fiddly bits. It uses old technology, or in this case, I suppose, fairly new technology, in a different way. And I think that's how innovation should work. So I was personally thinking Alchemists should have taken this spot. Dead of Winter, I don't know what that is doing on here. I mean, Dead of Winter is just trying to haunt me, I think. It's like a poltergeist that won't leave me alone. You know, it's already invading my game of the year and co-ops and theme awards, but most innovative game? Seriously? What's innovative in it? You know, we've already seen... It's basically a clone of Battlestar Galactica. The only thing that's slightly new in it is the crossroad cards, and to be honest, that's just a glorified encounter deck. You know, hello, Eldritch and Arkham Horror, hello. We've already had these storytelling games where you've got a choice of things to do with various event cards. All Dead of Winter just basically did was make, right, well, you pick it up and read it out instead of him. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. Uh, the, oh, it's not going to happen, never mind, I'll chuck it away. You know, that's not, that's not enough to call that innovative. I'm sorry, but it should not have been in this category. In the end, Tragedy Looper took the title, and unfortunately, I don't have a lot to say on this. The concept of the game does sound pretty innovative, and I'm hearing a lot of good buzz for it, but it's a very hard game to get hold of, and so I've not had a chance to play it. I'm hoping that somebody I know will get this one soon so I can give it a shot, but I can't really say much about it. But from what I've heard, I can see why this would get the title, so I would have probably fared up this against Alchemist and maybe Golem Arcana for innovation. I would have certainly not put Dead of Winter on there, and I don't think I would have said Spyfall either. So, Tragedy Looper took that title, fair enough. And that's it. That's all the Dice Tower Awards for 2014. It was great fun being on the panel, and I hope I'll be on the panel again next year so we can talk about 2015 games. Although, so far 2015 has not been the best of year for games, in my opinion. There's been one or two cool ones along the way, but so far I'm not overly impressed. Maybe Gen Con will change that, though. Well, it will certainly change it for one of them, and that would be Legendary Encounters Predator. I cannot wait for that game. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to do Predator v. Humans, and Human v. Predators, and then Aiden versus Predator, and then Aiden versus Humans again. You know, whatever. I'm just going to mix them up, and it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for that game. I hope to see that on the best theming and best co-op category when 2015 comes. Hopefully, it won't get spoiled by a Dead of Winter sequel, unless the sequel happens to be really good, in which case, fair enough. But... You know, if we just get a carbon copy of Dead of Winter show up and it ends up nicking all my categories again, I am going to scream. <laughs> it's already haunted me enough as it is. I don't need the sequels to haunt me anymore. But that's it for the Dice Tower Awards, so we'll see what happens next year on that front. Now, let's get on with the top 10.
Okay, and moving on, we've got my top 10 for this month, which is the top 10 disappointments. Now, to clarify that a little bit, this are not necessarily games that I don't like. I mean, there are a couple on here that I don't like at all, but this is when the hype or my expectations were so high that I expected to really like these games, or I figured, yeah, these sound pretty good, they're popular, I reckon I should have no trouble with this, and then suddenly it's like, what happened here? You know, such a problematic experience, or just like, oh my god, this game is actually bad, or just, I expected this to be like the next best thing since sliced bread, but it's, eh, it's okay. So these are ranked in terms of how much expectation I had for the game and how much of a drop it took for me in terms of my expectations compared to what I actually think of it. Uh, there's a couple on here that some of you will probably guess, but um, well, let's see how you get on. So top 10 disappointing games. First up, we have a game on the list which I feel almost heartbroken to put it on the list. It's only at number 10 because I still think the game is actually a bit of fun, but it just goes on so long and completely outstays its welcome with you know long setup times and just the fact that the game can go on for over two and a half hours easily before you get anywhere near your objective. And I feel so bad because I love the license that it's based on and that is Firefly the game. The game itself is actually quite fun, but it goes on for so long for what is essentially a pick up and deliver game that relies on a lot of luck, and I mean a lot of luck. There's lots of dice rolling, and the first time I played this game, pretty much it came down to who got the, the last die roll. That was after three and a bit hours of play, just trying to get to anywhere near the objective. So. I feel a bit bad because I think Firefly is such an awesome series and I wish it never got cancelled, but oh well, Fox for you. But ugh, it's just too long, it outstays its welcome, and so I was a bit disappointed when this was a game I couldn't have in my collection. So, number 10, Firefly. Number 9, I expected to like a lot more than I did, mainly because of the hype. It was getting all the praise as, right, this is the family game for this year, it's going to be awesome, you know, for 2014, this is the game you must own. And the components were pretty good, I mean, the cards were okay, but those poker chips with the gems on it, they were pretty solid and chunky and they felt good in your hand. But unfortunately, after two times of playing Splendor, I'd exhausted all my interest in the game. It was fun the first two times, but then you exhaust all the paths to victory. And after that, it's you sort of look back at it and think, all I'm doing is just getting gems to buy cards, get points, the end. It's simple, but it's a little too simple. It's just, there it is, you know, here's some gems. Right, I'll spend some gems, which give me more gems, and I'll do that. And it's just weird. It's just a odd little engine building game in a sense. But you've only got two ways you can play it. Go for the cheap cards or go for the expensive cards. That's pretty much it. Those family members that you get at the top that give you a few extra points, you pretty much pick them up as you go along anyway and they're not that integral. You know, It's really down to are you going to go for lots of cheapies or are you going to work to some of those really big ones? And then that's it. So for something that was getting us so much hype, nah, there's plenty of family games out there I think that are better. So number nine, Splendor.
Number eight, I actually sort of dislike this game. I mean, it's okay, but it there are some paths to victory in it that are just pointless. Like, you know, what is the point of going for them? Like the, for example, going for money is pretty pointless, and going for a specialist in a particular good is also relatively pointless. Generally, the easiest way to get a ton of points is just simply to get as many of your cities and provinces on the board as physically possible, whilst, you know, leveling up some extra workers or merchants or whatever they're called in the game and i'm talking about concordia right it ranked in the top 100 of board game geek and it looked like a very nice looking euro game when you see it on the table the card management thing is something i've seen before and i thought i would like so i got shown it at the expo uh this year actually and it took over three hours oh my god this I blame my mate for this because um, if you watch the Dice Tower Top 10 they did on annoying gamers, like annoying traits and gamers, one of the ones they mention quite near the top is the guy who always invites people in. Now, I'm not saying you should never invite other people into your game. I mean, that's selfish and unsociable. But they in Euro games, it is widely known that you should not max out the players in 90% of Euro games because it just drags the game on for too long without adding much to it. Unfortunately, this friend of mine has a habit of literally inviting the first person who even gets a sniff of what it is you're doing on the table, and as such, our four-player game went to five players, four of us being new to the game, and it just took over three hours. I kid you not. I was bored. I was trying to hurry the game up by the end, just like, fine, I'll buy these cards, I'll buy these cards, just get the end game condition out, and uh And it's not even, it's not that revolutionary a Euro game, it's trading in the Mediterranean. Put cities down, buy goods, sell goods, make money. The end. Mini adventure. It's the same style of Euro trading in the Mediterranean game that we've seen before. It just has those cards that you can buy and put into like a mini quote unquote deck building mechanic to, you know, effectively get you going. But some of those cards are not worth having and also, if you are aiming for a particular set of cards and somebody happens to buy the ones that you're after, even if they didn't desperately need them, it can really hose you down. I mean, if you're aiming for a particular strategy and suddenly someone buys the cards for you or they come out you know, at the wrong time, you just get completely screwed over and there's very little you can do about it. So, yeah, Concordia fell quite... A, it, it's one that I relatively dislike at the moment, but then I looked at it and thought, it's trading in the Mediterranean, how good it can it be? So my hopes and hype weren't exactly the highest on this one, but this one certainly went down a bit further in terms of I cannot be bothered to play this again, possibly with three or less players, but I am never playing this with four or five again. Never. Number seven, and oh, this one feels a bit heartbreaky to put on the list as well because I love the license it's based on. And you know me, I'm a lover of co-op games, so to put a co-op game as a disappointing game is almost sacrilege in my book. But the franchise it was based on was Lord of the Rings, and yes, I'm talking about Reiner Knizia's Lord of the Rings, the cooperative game. I got a chance to play this finally and I thought right come on this was one of the first co-op games that there were yeah it may not be the best ever but it's Lord of the Rings so surely it's going to be this really cool you know possibly thematic game of cooperation and Lord of the Rings this was before I actually realized exactly the style of game that Reiner Knizia puts out there and so when I'm introduced to this nice looking board it's like oh yes this is going to get good and then I get given some a card for my character with really poor artwork on it 
And then I realized, I know, so we got multiple boards, but what are we actually doing on these boards? Well, you basically fulfill these objectives, play cards, lift up a chit, and move across. What, the, that's it? Yep, here we go, my turn first. Axe and sword, move one. Oh dear God. Yeah, this one was a big disappointment for me. I expected more from a Lord of the Rings game. But for this to be completely... How can you take Lord of the Rings and suck all the theme out of it? It doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. If I want a cooperative Lord of the Rings game, I'm getting my LCG out, the living card game. Although it's kind of hard to call that a cooperative at the moment because I only play it solo. <laughs> because I can't find anybody else in the South that owns it, let alone plays it. You know, if, if you are out there in Hampshire way and you play Lord of the Rings LCG, get in touch. I'd like to play something other than just my myself. But... I really enjoyed that one because that has some good theme, even if it detracts depending on the deck you build. But this one, Rhino Kedipsia's version, nope. Disappointment for me, it's on the list, number seven. Number six is on the list because of the people who made it. Because these people were responsible for my all-time favorite game, which was Sentinels of the Multiverse. So I figured any game that basically took that style and put it into space would actually, okay, this will be a surefire hit. I am going to love this game. They did it. They knocked it out of the park with Sentinels of the Multiverse. I'm sure this one's going to be great too. Unfortunately, Galactic Strike Force turned out to be a bit the other way round. It... If you thought Sentinels in the Multiverse was fiddly with those tokens, you have got no idea because this one is fiddly beyond comprehension. Not only have you got a bunch of tokens going around, but you have got so many effects that are going off at different times that cause different things to happen that to try and get your head around the turn sequence is just a nightmare. And it's fairly bone-crushingly hard, which is not necessarily always a problem, but it can, you know, when you get hosed for, you know, things outside of your control it's a little bit put off-putting but mainly it's just that this one was really fiddly and really tedious and it just did not gel well it just did not go for me so I didn't play it after that but oh for, to get my the designers of, and publisher of my favorite I think I think they designed it I'm not sure maybe it was just the publisher but the the people who sort of responsible for Sentinels the multiverse and then this came out and it was basically just a giant dud for me and this one, you know, I mean, I don't hate it, but uh, compared to Sentinel Multiverse, I was expecting better. So Galactic Strike Force makes my number six. Number five. Well, Twilight Imperium 3. Everybody, no, that's not my number five. Calm down, guys. All right, calm down. All right, breathe. Okay, breathe. All right, Twilight Imperium 3 was not my number five. But everybody knows that game, probably, if they're in the gaming uh, industry to a reasonable degree. The big, long, epic 4X space game, well, space opera, pretty much, of you know, extermination, politics, building up. Oh, it's got everything in it, and I do really like it, even though I don't own it, because let's face it, it is a bit of a beast to get out. But this one was touted as TI3 Lite by people who mostly like Euro games. And so I got to play a six-player game of it with the expansions thrown in. It took the entire day to finish because not only did we have five new players, we also had several with AP. And yeah, okay, we spaced it out with things. I mean, this is not including the fact that we spaced it out with like a barbecue and, you know, various breaks and that. But the game took a long time. And that's Eclipse. 
Eclipse is not TI-free light. Eclipse is a banking Euro game in space, and even the space theme is relatively tacked on. You will build a few ships, you will go out and explore some very boring hexes, and you will occasionally fight other people with technology that you may randomly get or not get. You know, why is the technology random? Why is there no tech tree? Surely a tech tree, specifically ones unique to the races, that'd be pretty cool. You know, nope, it's just random technology. If it comes out at the right time, you're going to get an awesome ship. If it comes out at the wrong time, you're screwed. Yeah. Now, this and the amount of cubes you're pushing around, this is a Euro economic game, basically. And that's not my favorite genre. So you've got to realize that before you play Eclipse. But for me, this was a disappointment because I thought I was going to get the same experience as TI3 Lite but then have it in a shorter space of time. Eclipse in no way replaces TI3. TI3 is still probably the daddy of science fiction 4X games. I, I mean, I've got Empires of the Void, but you know that's more of a 3X game. And I'm banking a lot of money on Burning Suns on Kickstarter when that eventually gets finished. I mean, it's been in development for like nearly two years now. You know, it's going to be, I paid 50 quid or 60 or something on the Kickstarter ages ago, and I'm still waiting for them to hurry up and finish the game. But if it can do half the things it said it could, that could be a good replacement. But for now, TI3 is still the daddy, and Eclipse, you're a sad disappointment. Number four is a recent disappointment, and there's going to be another recent one later on, so we'll see how that goes. But... This one I did a recent review of, actually. I love a game called Innovation. Whether with two or three players, four is a bit much, but I really like Innovation. It's a cool tactical card game with technologies, and I really like technologies in games. You know, tech trees and civilization games, I really love the technology trees. So this one came out, and it was basically all about technologies. You leveled up technologies and got points and improved your abilities. So I thought, okay, this is sounding good. And for ages, I couldn't get a copy of it because I wasn't able to get one as a review copy, and it sort of went out of stock around my area. And then I basically just waited a while and just thought, oh, well, it's back at the expo, and it's a second-hand copy. I'll go buy that and see. Progress Evolution of Technology is not the technological marvel that I thought it was going to be. I thought just be, I thought it had, you know, great artwork, you know, stellar artwork, but it's very dry. It is bone dry and it is the poster child definition of multiplayer solitaire. The other players might as well not be playing because apart from them occasionally denying you a card, there is no other interaction in this game. And the technologies don't even feel that thematic. You know, yes, they level up into each other. You know, one becomes the other in relatively thematic ways. Although the designers actually acknowledge in their rule book that for mechanical purposes, they had to stretch the boundaries as to when they came out a little bit in order for it to fit. That's already a bit of a worry when it's doing that sort of thing. But it's just so bone dry and boring. It, it can go on for a long time with three or more players. You know, several, you know, at least a couple of hours and it just long outstays its welcome. It is basically a bone-dry engine-building game, and I was expecting a lot from a game that was going to focus on technologies. I thought this could be like Innovation Plus. After all that time of waiting, sadly, it was very quickly on the trade pile. Progress Evolution of Technology, you blew it.
Number three. Now, I had suspicions that this game might not be one for me, but everybody in my Southampton group, or at least 90% of them, were going on and on about how this game was going to be awesome, and they still play it now, and a lot of them still enjoy it. But this is probably the biggest drop in terms of games on this list where I just outright hate this game. You know, I thought this should be a bit of fun because I like Arkham Horror and I like Eldritch Horror, but I thought this one would be pretty good as well, even if it wasn't as well designed. And I had heard the uh, controversies that the, when they reprinted it, it wasn't improved in any way. The components are still a bit shoddy, that kind of thing. And apart from the little miniatures, they're not bad, but they're pretty, you know, yeah, they're painted, but they're not exactly great looking. But this is a massive drop. Betrayal on House on the Hill was a colossal disappointment. And granted, my expectations were not as high as some of the other games on this list, but this one dropped a long way down in, in like, oh, I refuse to play this game. It's just, I do not like it at all. You know, you spend first part of the game just running around the house with tiles that almost look exactly the same as each other. It's just brown, brown, brown all over the place. And it's random as old get out. You will draw cards that have random events happening. Now, that's cool in Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror because they're storytelling and they feel more thematic. Here, though, it's just a case of you draw a card. A dog happens to bite you. Roll a die. You failed. Lose four of your body or health or whatever. And you can just get hosed down by a random bad roll. But on top of that, if you are hosed down on certain stats, you just have nothing else to do in the game i played the old guy who was really good with mind and sanity but it was a fairly weak physical guy i got bitten by a dog rolled the worst i possibly could ended up losing nearly all of my health and it meant that i could barely move and i could not do anything in the physical fight so when i then got turned into the voodoo priest as part of the like oh horror story i literally did nothing for almost another 60 to 90 minutes then just simply going, right, you've got this doll, take a point. You've got this doll, roll. My turn ends. I could not go and attack anyone, because I was so weak from one card earlier in the game that I didn't stand a chance. Where was the horror feeb? Where, where was the fun? It was just random chaos. And the others had basically been really lucky with their cards and turned into titan tanks, which meant that none of the voodoo dolls would work on them because they were so buff in the first place. And I... I, I don't know why this one gets so much love i mean if you're going to reprint a game fix it this game has so much broken aspects to it that it seriously needs a reprint by a publisher who's going to hurry up and fix this thing it's just simply not a game at the state it's in now so this was a heavy disappointment for me i didn't expect too much from it because i heard about it in like the online world but yeah this one really dropped down in my love and hate radar Number two, and this is probably the newest game on this list. Uh, let's see, Galactic Eclipse, Firefly, Progress is relatively new. Yeah, no, this is the newest game on this list. It is one that I haven't even written the review for it fully yet. It's almost done, I just need to get some pictures on it and upload it, and I'll probably do that this week. This was a deck building game by a company called Cool Mini or Not. If anybody knows Cool Mini or not, they know that when they go put things on Kickstarter, it sells out like hotcakes. Everybody also knows that Cool Mini or not are very good at their miniatures. 
you know every single one of their games where they put out miniatures the miniatures are sublime they are gorgeously sculpted and even if i can't paint them because my painting skills are shoddy I can just happily look at the unpainted model and think, yep, this is good. Unfortunately, Cool Mini or Not decided to go a little bit outside of their comfort zone and try a deck building game called Xenoshift Onslaught. Now, this was high in my expectations because it was a tower defense co-op deck builder in the sort of theme of Starship Troopers, you know, defending a base from loads of bugs. That sounded pretty awesome in my book. However, I had slight re you know, slight worries when going around the UK Games Expo there was a lot of Kickstarter copies of this being sold and that caused me a bit of concern. With this game you are, it's a deck builder co-op and if you know deck builders you know how they work but a couple of good tweaks about it is that you, when you buy a card you get it instantly which is certainly a bit of a shake up and you can give items to other players but they stay in their decks which I thought was really cool, and so far so good, I thought this was going to be a cool game. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things wrong with it. Firstly, components. The artwork is stellar. The cardstock is horrific. This stuff appeared worn out of the box before I'd even opened it. Let alone in the first couple of games, if you do not sleep this game, you, your cards will just fall apart. The glossy is anything which means that you get sun glare all over the place when you're in a brightly lit room, but also the game is so bone-crushingly hard and random that you basically just don't have as much control as you think you do. Now you can choose what items you start with and some combinations of items are obviously better than others. Unfortunately, they're a bit too much better than others. You know, grenade spam is very overpowered and it's one of the best ways to win. Now there are lots of items and there's not as many different types of marines as I would hope. I mean, there's like three waves and you get three different types in each wave. You know, it's just not enough. But when you're playing the game, 80% of the time you're using the same stuff all the time because, you know, certain mechs and certain marines are just so much more useful. And then when you actually fight these bugs, it's just randomly drawn from a hive deck and certain times you could just draw four really bad cards and just get completely screwed and there was nothing you could do about it really because in the end all you can do to control the situation after you start fighting is decide whether a particular guy is going to use his ability or not that's it other than that the bugs will just come out and pound you down to the point where this i almost thought this game was impossible i came close to winning once but honestly if anybody is winning this game easily i don't think they've got the rules right i seriously think it's that stupidly difficult but that's on top of all the other problems that it's got it's got a horrible insert the cardstock is not very good it's bone crushingly hard the uh, i mentioned the cardstock already and it drags on a lot you know the combat is not simultaneous so in a three or four player game you're going to be playing this for at least a couple of hours and it's just going to drag on too much so this was a huge disappointment and it has now officially gone out of my collection and good riddance to you. Before I get to my number one, here's the honourable mentions for the disappointments list. 12 Realms. 12 Realms was done by Mage Company and miniature-wise it looked gorgeous and even board-wise it looked gorgeous. But this turned out to be one of the most boring, essentially, yeah, one of the most boring co-op games that I'd ever played. It just really did not work and as such this was a big disappointment but I probably wasn't expecting too much from a game that was mainly aimed at little children as opposed to anything else. 
Power Grid. Power Grid was hyped up so much by Euro gamers alike. It had a resource market that I knew I would like, but then I discovered just how much I got bored with auctions and did not like the turn order mechanic in this game. So this wasn't as massive a disappointment because I had my worries, but Power Grid certainly from the hype it got disappointed me when I played it. And Libertalia. Libertalia was supposed to be Citadel's 2.0. But unfortunately, it just got far too many character powers for its own good, and it just wasn't as fun as I thought it could be. Citadels remains in my collection, Libertalia has been sold. I'm just afraid that Libertalia has far too much chaos happening in it that you don't have enough control over what you expect the characters to do, particularly with the influence rating on the cards, which can completely screw you without you having any control over whether you'll win tiebreakers or not. So Citadels remains the daddy of that, that sort of role selection genre, although we'll see what Mission Red Planet gives me in the future. But yeah, Libertalia just did not work. And now on to number one. Well, if you haven't guessed what my number one is, then shame on you because I've been rabbiting on about it enough in my discussion topic today. But this was a co-op game that took elements of Shadows of a Camelot and Battlestar Galactica and stuck zombies with it and introduced what they called a innovative uh, event card mechanic. And it sounded like it was going to be awesome. The hype was unbelievable. and. You know, the designers of this game have done some good stuff in the past, so there was a lot of hype and a lot of high expectation. I thought I was just going to fall over loving this game. Unfortunately, yes, Dead of Winter makes the top disappointment for me. I don't necessarily hate this game. I certainly think it's horrendously overrated and it does not deserve as many awards as it's getting, but I don't hate the game. But I had such a high expectation for this. I mean, probably the highest expectation for this game over any other on this list. And as such, that's why it gets my number one, because it was as bone-crushing as you could get as a disappointment. The red die of death is far too nasty to you. If you get hosed by that halfway through the game, you have no way of getting back into line. The objectives that you have as personal objectives are completely unbalanced. Some are easier than others by far. The Betrayer is actually relatively difficult to figure out, which is sort of a good thing, but the fact is that because everybody's going for their own thing, it's not a co-op game anymore. Yeah, you've got to work together just to get the colony to survive, but because you've got your own personal objective, you're not really working together, so everybody's acting like a Betrayer, and it just really clouds that over. And also, if you have got a Betrayer, winning the game is almost non-impossible because the Betrayer can really screw you over. You need everybody to be working on this. And just, you know, when I played the Betrayer the first time, I barely had to do anything and the colony still fell. Imagine if I was actually paying more attention. And what else have we got? Well, yeah, theme. Yeah, dogs that dual wield guns and items that teleport across the board. Yeah, well done on the theme there, mate. And oh, what else? Ooh, let's uh, carry on this. Well, actually, I don't know. I'm beating a dead horse here. You've heard me say what I don't like about Dead of Winter, and you can check out the review on my blog if you want more concrete details. But uh, I really expected to love this game, and as such, it's my number one disappointment because now I'll play it if there's nothing else, but I will not seek it out, and I'll certainly defend the fact that it's overrated until, you know, 
off the mountaintops until the day I die. So Dead of Winter, my number one disappointment. And that's it, my top 10 disappointments. Yes, it was a slight mini rant again, although not as bad as my hated games list. But that should be the last... I think that'll be the last negative list for a little while now, because I've got some other top 10s that I'd like to get done, and they're more positive ones, so we're going to see that in the future. And as we're coming up to late July and early August, it means that maybe, actually, next month... In fact, I think next month might actually be an anniversary episode again, because it was around this sort of time when I started doing the blog, and that was a good two years back. I did an anniversary episode last year, and as part of that, I did my top 10 favorite games. I will be doing the same again this time, my new top 10 favorite games. And believe me, my tastes change quite dramatically at times, and the top 10 is no longer the exact same top 10 that you saw before. We've had some very good games released in the last couple of years, and my top 10 will be different from the last one, so... I hope you look forward to seeing that. That'll be probably next month's anniversary episode. After that, I've still got more top 10s to do that are more positive, so this will probably be the last negative one that you see for a little while yet. But considering I've done top 10 overrated and top 10 disappointments and top 10 hated, there's probably not many more negative lists that I can actually do. As for the rest of gaming in general, well, this weekend coming, not today, it's Saturday the 11th of July, not today or this weekend, next weekend, I will be attending ManorCon up at the University of Leicester. I will be there for the full three days, from Friday afternoon all the way till about Sunday early evening or so, because it is from Portsmouth, so it is a bit of a drive back, but I'm looking forward to going there, I reckon it should be a good laugh. And this time, unlike the UK Games Expo, I expect to be doing a lot more playing of games than simply just shopping around, even though they do have a second-hand stall there. I'm looking forward to demoing some stuff from uh, a buddy, Paul Grogan off, who helps out Check Game Editions every now and again. Um, you can check out his podcast, Gaming Rules. And he's going to bring some various games for people to test out, and I'm hoping to get Through the Ages properly tested, as in the new version of Through the Ages. The third edition was a little bit over complex for me and it looks stale as all get out but this new edition certainly looks the business so if it's streamlined a little bit hopefully that could then see a bit of a resurgence for me but I'm looking forward to it so if you do see me around Manicon say hi say you know that you listen to the podcast or that you've read the blog and just say hi we'll play some games I'm going to bring some games on and I look forward to trying out lots of new ones as well or we can just go out and grab a meal somewhere you know gamers got to eat so there may be a bar there but maybe i fancy going near leicester and grabbing a decent meal so get in touch with me if you're at manicon and you see me there i'm looking forward to it i'll be there from friday afternoon to sunday afternoon as i said it's gonna be a good one as for the format of this episode or podcast sorry i did do a bit of research and i did collate some ideas as to what i could do i'm still tempted by the two a month but shorter episodes however the People who have got back in touch with me, and thank you for getting back in touch with me. I mean, there weren't many of you, but I appreciate the constructive feedback on the podcast, whether you like it or have things to say about improving it, and I'm taking those on board. But I also took on your feedback as to what type of episodes you preferred, and the masses in general preferred the format 
as it is right now. They like a long episode, and they don't mind that it's once a month for that. I mean, if the episode is going to be this long, there is no way I can really get two a month done on a regular basis. I'll try to do it a little more often than once a month. I mean, if I can do one in three weeks as opposed to four, then I'll do it. And certainly recording this piecemeal, I mean, this has been done in three parts, it has certainly, you know, it's certainly worked out. It's doing quite well on that front. But, yeah, if it's going to be this long, it's probably going to be a one-a-month episode, and I'll keep doing things like the news, the first impressions. First impressions are really popular, actually. So I, I didn't expect them to be as popular as that. But, yep, they're going to stick around. Uh, discussion topics, they will continue, although I will be tempted to do things like a Q&A section instead, maybe in the future. There's only so much you can discuss about board games, and maybe every now and again I'll do a Q&A session, or maybe I'll even do a Q&A as a separate episode. It depends. So, if you want me to answer questions on the podcast uh, about gaming in general, or my life, what do I do, you know, then... By all means, drop me a line, submit some questions, and I'll maybe do a podcast mailbag episode. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Might even be able to try and get somebody else to help me out with it. Although I will say, be careful about putting game um, questions on there like, you know, have you tried this? Or which do I, which would be better out of this game and this game? Because doing things like that is very difficult. One, I haven't played every game in existence, so I don't want too many questions to be, have you played this game? And all I can say is no. And also, comparing a game to a game where I don't really know you and don't know what your tastes are, it's difficult for me to recommend exactly what it is uh, that you would like to play. I mean, I can give an opinion, but you should not necessarily rely on it as gospel because I have no idea whether you would like a particular game or hate a particular game for whatever reason. I mean, I'll, I'll answer them. I'll do the best that I can, but you're going to have to give me more details than just simply going, Shadows of the Camelot, Battles Dark Galactica, which would I prefer? You know, I'll, I'll need more details. So hopefully that might take off in the future. But for now, I've got a ton of stuff to get done today before I can actually say, yes, I've got some free time. So I'm going to leave it there. That's it for episode 32. And I will see you guys soon. Take care, enjoy gaming, and I hope to see some of you at Manicon. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Broken Meeple. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to check out more of my work, you can find my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, and also check out my Facebook page. The music used in this podcast has been kindly provided by CMA Music. I'm Luke Hector, you take care and enjoy the hobby.